Well, hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. Today we're talking about the urgency of conversion, the urgency of living out the gospel ready and alert. I'm joined by my father, Marcus, the president and founder of the Coming Home Network, as well as the host of the Journey Home program, and we'll be with you in a moment. Welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Brodi, here at the Coming Home Network, and I thank you for joining me again for this ongoing conversation about living out our life in Christ day to day. Wherever we are in our vocations, wherever we are in our lives, we all have this common call to holiness, as we've been discussing here, and this is a discussion in the Coming Home Network about how we live that out, the prayer, the devotion, uh, the daily call to conversion. And today, in particular, we're talking about this obligation, this exhortation that Scripture gives us, particularly the New Testament, this exhortation to be uh, alert and ready. And of course, I had the distinct pleasure today of inviting uh, my father, Marcus, to join me. Dad, are you there? I'm here. Good to oh, join you, John you. Mark. Thank you. And it's, it's, we, we had a lot of fun earlier this year. We spent a lot of time uh, over on your show, Deep in Scripture, going through a lot of neat scriptures, talking through um, what was the long study we did now? Uh, which early church father? Yeah, and Cyprian, Cyprian, uh, just a little portion of his uh, book on the Yeah, Lord's that was Prayer. a lot of fun. And I, again, if anyone yeah. is listening, watching to this, you go check out uh, Deep in Scripture, which is under the program here at the Coming Home Network, as well as that study. But we had a lot of fun there, and it's good to be back with you again. Um, as I said, and as I think most people here uh, listening to the podcast or on, on YouTube here know, you know, you're the founder and president of this apostolate, the Coming Home Network, and they've probably seen you on on EWTN on your show, The Journey Home. Most most people in this sphere have seen that and enjoyed that. But it's good to talking together yeah. again. Well, it's good to and it's good to see you uh, carrying the uh, uh, the baton for the Deep in Christ program. It's something that's been on my heart for many years. That's you know, of course, started years ago when I was a non-Catholic minister, my focus has always been this, this idea of the total abandonment to Jesus Christ. And, you know, how does, as you've been, I know, explaining in your previous episodes of this new program, how does having a program on Deep in Christ fit with the mission of the Coming Home Network? And I, I think later in our discussion today, I, I'm going to talk about some scriptures in the, the later half of the second letter of Peter, but in the very first chapter of Peter, he makes this really powerful statement. And I don't know if you and I talked about this before in the earlier Deep in Scripture program, but he says in 1 Peter 1, 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, the reason I wanted to mention that was, you know, um, supplement your faith. Well, often in in the world of apologetics, that's really where our discussions end. 
you know, did you believe in the church? Do you believe in apostolic succession, the supremacy of Peter? How do you understand purgatory or praying to the saints and Mary and all that? But the deep in Christ picks up from there with, you know, that's a foundation for us. But there's more to it than just getting our heads right. It has to do with getting our heads and hearts together, which is what he talks about virtue and steadfastness and knowledge. And and that's to what I see how your program really fits into the bigger picture. Yeah, I remember we did go over that at, at first at one point. I love that because it does, yeah, it does flesh out what this looks like. It's not just the knowing, but it's the doing and the living out, you know. And of course, it's always in grace. You know, we've, um, this is episode six or seven, I think I'm losing count here, but we've been talking a lot about this call to holiness. And of course, as Catholics, you know, we always want to, to um, emphasize, especially with a mixed audience here of, our fellow Christians from different backgrounds, that we, we know this is all from grace. This is all a work of grace. Even when we're emphasizing that this faith has to, to blossom into works and virtue, we all recognize that even the desire to pray, the desire to do good works, the ability to do good works is all a work of grace. And so, but nevertheless, that's how the Lord has chosen to work. You know, he's given us free wills and he asks us to say yes. And he invites us to be, uh, you know, co-workers with him uh, in his in his um, work of redeeming human beings. And so um, it, so this topic today, this urgency, the sense of urgency in the gospel and conversion, you know, we got talking about the, this week. I was down at the farm. Uh, I was down at the, the main Coming Home Network head office, you know, for some recordings. But even before I got down there the day before, um, so uh, my younger brother, your son, uh, Father Peter Grodi, who was ordained earlier this year, uh, we were able to go visit him and hear his homily, and he preached on that that gospel passage from uh, from Matthew twenty five on the wise virgins, you know, the waiting with your your lamps filled with oil, and so he and I talked about that a little bit and got kind of got the juices flowing, and then you and I had some good discussions about it because this had already been on your your heart and mind a little bit. So let's be. I'll begin. I'll just turn it over a little bit to you and and talking about this sense that the gospel gives us throughout the gospel that we have to remain um, alert and ready uh, to give account uh, for our lives at all times. And, and that, therefore, our, our living out the Christian life is never, you know, um, sort of getting it to a certain place and then sitting back on our laurels. No, we have to be ready at any time. Yeah, this has been such a major part of my ministry all of my adult life. I've been in Christian ministry now for 45 years. and. Um, first as a as a non-Catholic Christian Presbyterian pastor, and then of course as a Catholic. And in some ways, the the journey to the Catholic Church involved understanding um, the truth of this very issue, because different Christians have different understandings. For example, on what's necessary for salvation. Uh, if we stood before God tonight, uh, you know, would we stand before him without embarrassment or does it make a difference? There are certain Christians that say it doesn't really matter how you stand before God at the end because you're all covered with the righteousness of Jesus anyway. So if you put your faith in Christ, then, you know, you're, you're, you're covered. Well, as Catholics, and there are many non-Catholics that also believe, no, it's, it's who you are, you know, and whether your faith has changed you. But as you know, John Mark, and, and maybe some of the audience know, for years I've done a, a, 
a program for the Coming Home Network called Deep in Scripture. And a big part of that is this idea of verses I never saw. Verses I never saw. And what that meant was I that I could go all the way back in my life when I had my adult conversion to Christ when I was in college. Part of that was by grace being awakened to Scripture in a way that I hadn't for the first 21 years of my life, even though I was brought up a Lutheran. And it immediately went, as almost like in Paul's image, scales falling off my eyes, all of a sudden the scriptures brought an urgency to my life then, when I was in college, to change my life, to change what was going on, to examine what kind of a person I had become, and by grace, humbly, hopefully, be different. And in a way, because of that, something changed in my lots of things changed in my life to this day, one of which was reading scripture every day of my life since then, prayerfully asking God to know his will and do that. The urgency of that was very important to me. That's what led for me to leave engineering and go to seminary because there was an urgency. Why an urgency? Because there's this constant tension. And John Mark, you and I have talked about this. In fact, I wrote about it in my book, Life from Our Land. This constant tension. When if he takes Christ seriously, the tension is that we're called to live every single day of our life as if it's our last. While at the same time knowing it's more likely than not we're going to live longer than that. So how do you do both and? How do you do both and? And so I, you know, I was a Protestant minister for many years, and then, you know, the idea of of teaching people from Scripture when everybody has a different interpretation of Scripture. So how do you know your interpretation is true, especially when it comes to things like the last times, or whether it's important to work out your faith with fear and trembling, you know, good works? Does it make a difference whether you're growing in virtue or not? Christians are all over the board on those things. And it was in the midst of that that I saw some verses I never saw, which opened my heart to the Catholic Church. And maybe the most significant one was 1 Timothy 3.15, that the, that, that the pillar and bulwark of truth is the church. Paul was telling Timothy, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to teach you guys how you ought to act in the church. I need to live out your faith. It's kind of like what Peter's saying. You got your faith, but how do you live it out? Well, that's what Paul is saying. I'm going to show you what the right conduct is in the church. And he says, which is the pillar and bulwark of truth. And that began my journey to the Catholic Church. All these verses. So you know, you know I've done this. But I think since turning 60, I think it's what's hit me more and more is this urgency. We take it for granted. And I think far too many, one of the ways I think we take it for granted is that over not just months and years, but centuries, there have been parts of the gospel that have, uh, what's the right word, that have not been put aside, but we've become glass-eyed to. We don't think it really makes that big of a difference to us. Or maybe we think it only applies to somebody else, and not to me. And 
as I've gotten older, a couple things I found is that some of these verses really hit me hard, and they they make me realize that, like a frog in the soup, for a long, large part of my life, I've been drawn along into this way of understanding the Christian life in ways that it's hard to get out of. It's hard to get out of. In my book, I, I use that, I quote that song from the World War I, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? It's a goofy song, but, but it's profound. Because what happens is that once we taste of certain aspects of life, it's hard to go back. And where that's particularly confronted me in my older years is the areas of detachment and simplicity and what holiness really requires. And in the topic that we're talking about, John Mark, this idea of being ready, is we hear that preached from the pulpit every year. It's a part of the liturgical season, the Catholics, Protestants, we hear it. But do we just let it float over us until it's too late? It may be, you know, part of the problem is when you're young, like you are, John Mark, you know, you got, you got centuries ahead of you in your life, you know. You know and, but then when you get older, like me, and, it, you know, as, as Paul says, salvation is nearer than it was at first. And we try and tell young people, listen, well, we're old guys. You know, young people don't listen to us old guys. So, so yeah, that's just an old guy, you know. The thing is, Paul's not talking to young or old. He's talking to every single person. Because the one thing that Christ doesn't guarantee any of us, and that's a long life, there's no guarantee. So we live life. How do we, how do we live life seriously? And, you know, John Mark, you were talking about, you and I talking about this week, and, and, and your brother Peter, Father Peter, preaching on it Sunday. I got to admit something to the audience. Saturday morning, as I was doing my normal Bible study, which is a Lexio Divina of Scripture, I don't follow the Catholic liturgical calendar in my personal prayer life. I, I have a, a method I've followed for 40 years, and I just keep going through Scripture and get to the end, start over again, and I just do that. Over. But anyway, I was thinking about this very topic, and I was writing down all the Scriptures where they call about watching. Jesus says, watch, be ready. And, you know, Matthew 24, where it talks about the Olivet Discourse and his second coming and all that's going to happen at the end of it, the point of it is nobody knows the day or the hour, but regardless of that, watch and be ready because I can come like a thief in the night. And then after that comes the text that was right. for last Sunday about the ten virgins. And using wisdom and and uh, uh, pr- uh, prudence. 
my old yes. prudence, yeah. yeah, oh my 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 aging brain cells, you know, and wisdom and prudence, which the other text right. was from the Old Testament book of wisdom, was the importance of it, and was illustrated by the ten virgins, the ten, the five who had used wisdom and prudence, and the other five that didn't use it, and so the end result is watching be ready. So I'm all excited about that. In fact, Kevin and I talked an hour at Saturday. I was all excited. This is and and it was in that time that I and Kevin, I said, you know, I think, I think the operative axiom that needs to be inaugurated in our work, and you and I talked about it, is the urgency of conversion, the urgency of conversion. I was all excited about that. And then I went to Mass Sunday morning. And there it was. And it's like, whoa, yeah. wait a second. There it is. There it is. And I wasn't where Peter was preaching, but I was at another church, happened to be a uh, uh, a second vocation priest who was on fire and on straight on. And it was he that called the congregation. You know, what do we do if we only had a week left? What'd you do if you knew that? And what he was saying, confirming almost word for word what you and I talk about is that's how we're to live our lives. To think about that. Of course, that's what Peter's saying here. Beyond faith, that's great, but these other things need the to be conversion, more. this turning. You know, it's interesting because in the especially for people who've been around our work, you know, whether you know members of the staff or the, or the team or our families or the people watching, listening, people in the network. You know, the, our mission we're about helping people become Catholic. And so, usually, when we're using the term conversion, we're talking about this uh, particular conversion. Of someone uh, deciding that okay, it's time. I think I need to become Catholic. But of course, you know that term can be. It can be. There are specific conversions in our life. But taken more broadly, there is this this urgency to turn whatever that next step is. And that kind of it gets a little bit of of how this brings nuance to our particular work. I mean, certainly the reason that we're passionate about this work is because we do believe that we're called to evangelize. We're to share Christ with non Christians. And we're to share the truth, uh, truth and beauty of the Catholic Church with fellow Christians, you know, in, in our divided Christendom. Um, but that, because of our urgency to be faithful to the gospel, we share it. But at e in each person's life, we recognize that what's the next step for them? That the, their particular conversion um, is is particular to them. And this is, you know, it, it's interesting you know, with the with the verses this past weekend in the gospel, the, the pairing of that gospel about readiness. And about this need, you know, to be to be ready and to be found ready when, when Christ calls us, is paired with wisdom and prudence. Because prudence, and you know, uh, Father Peter and I had a good discussion a couple episodes ago about the virtues. <laughs> but prudence is precisely that virtue of going through life awake and alert. And and it's not necessarily about selecting the ideal action. It's it's about selecting the ideal but available action. You know, in, in my life today, what's the next step that's open to me? Because, again, in many of the people's lives that we talk to, becoming Catholic isn't the next step. They're not quite there yet. In apologetics, and we can sit very charitably, um, following what Peter says in, actually, First right. Peter 3, you know, to be ready at all times to give a reason for the hope that is within you, but do it with with a clean conscience yeah. and with charity, you know, and and. and you can do that. And in the process, what I'm getting at is that there are sometimes when we can focus on things that are good and right, but in that focus, we can miss an underlying far more important 
thing. And so we can get things right on Mary and things right on the Holy Father and things right on the church and the meaning of Mass, the meaning of the sacraments. We can get all that right, but in the process, miss what is the core of it all. And I'll give another good example of this. It's, it, it's a totally different to that subject, but to me it illustrates that a very traditional way of understanding salvation history in, in Scripture is covenantal theology. And scholars dedicate their whole lives. I know I've got a friend of mine that his whole life is dedicated to traveling the country, giving seminars on how to understand the scriptures through covenantal theology. I mean, see, when, and when the people are done with it, they're excited. Whoa, I understand the, the Adam, Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, and, and then the new covenant under Christ and how it all, oh, I'm excited and all that. And that's all good. But the problem is you can know that covenant, covenantal understanding of the whole scripture and miss the most underlying theme of Scripture that goes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And that is simply the two ways. The two ways. Either you'll follow God or you don't. And all of Scripture, every book of Scripture, talks about the two ways. God says, I'm creator, you're my creature. Gratitude, humility, fear of God, love of God, obedience, humble, holiness, surrender, simplicity, detachment, living every day as if I'll meet Jesus tonight. All of that has to do with the two ways. Surrender to God or idols, God or mammon, being ready like the first five virgins or not being ready like the seventh, second five. And so when we talk about the urgency of conversion, it's not that we're ignoring the truth, the apologetics. We want to get down to start on the same page with somebody. Somebody comes, I got some questions about about purgatory, and I don't quite buy the Marian dogmas and, you know, this Pope and all that. And I said, that's great. We'll get to that. But let's begin, first of all, where are you at with Jesus? Because that's really the most important thing if tonight you find yourself standing before God. Yeah, and, you know, we find this, you know, confirmed throughout, you know, even within the Catholic Church in our understanding of sin, our understanding of the sacraments, you know, the, Sometimes someone could look in the Catholic Church and think that we treat the sacraments as some sort of magic, magic potion or magic spell. If I do this, I'll, you know, something will happen. The, the sacraments are efficacious, but they too, like they're efficacious. What they do in our life depends on our openness. You know, if we treat them simply as a magic potion or a magic spell, they're not going to do anything in our lives. We have to approach them as, you know, God wants to to work something in my life. And so again, in, in even of course the, the Catholic. The reason people become Catholic, we know this, I know this, I know this from your story and so many of the people that we've interacted with in the context of the Coming Home Network, the reason why they're so intent on learning the truth or having their questions answered is because they've already met Christ uh, in, in most of the cases that we talk to people. That's the reason. And so, again, it, 
whatever the, the evangelizational situation or the ecumenical situation, whether we're sharing with a family member or a friend or someone in the coming, coming home network, we're always keeping that in mind that the underlying truth is that, that this day, that person has an obligation to, again, again, those two ways, to walk humbly with their God. And certainly we want to help them um, proceed forward, but they can only proceed forward one step at a time. You know, and so what's that next step to them? And making sure, and you know, as you've always said, that we've closed the sale, that we've made sure that first, do you know Christ? You know, and I remember a, a number of years back, um, there was a contact at the Communion Network who had contacted us um, uh, 10 years before. He had uh, contacted us with some questions, and we exchanged some emails, and then he fell off the radar and didn't respond for a long time. And then 10 years later, suddenly I get an email out of the blue and he has more questions. And I, I asked him, you know, what had gone on. And he sort of began to reveal, you know, at the time he had gotten so worried that he was making the, a wrong step by investigating the Catholic Church. That maybe he was doing something horribly wrong that, that he, in the end he just threw off the whole thing and didn't want to think about it. And he kind of went his own way. Um, you know, and we talked about that a little bit, you know, but we, we discussed the fact that, you know, um, the important thing today is that you continue to follow Jesus. You know, if you if you remain close to him, he will guide you. Um, you don't need to become Catholic today. You just need to take the next step. You just need to to ask, Lord, what do you want of me today? And we can we can kind of let the the end goal, the presumptive future goal, get be the enemy of like, what is God calling me to today? And the only way I get there is by being faithful to what I have today. As I mentioned earlier, I believe that. And, and when I say this, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. This is this is very real to me, and in the fact that I believe that there are important aspects of the gospel message that that our Lord proclaimed, that the apostles heard and tried to live, and their disciples also received, and I think were much more prevalent in the earliest days of the church. But over time, uh, I'm not saying they were purposely downplayed, but it's the way the devil works. And we become lax. And in fact, all we're already by Revelation chapter 2, we see Jesus talking to one of the seven churches and, and confronting them about their lukewarmness. And he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Than lukewarm. Uh, he, he says, I spew you out of my mouth. It makes him sick when, when Christians claim to be Christians, but their lives are more models of lukewarmness. And so he'd rather you, you deny it all than to give the idea that it doesn't matter. And there's a number of verses that you, we could really point out that as Christians, um, we don't take very seriously. I mean, one that's really been a verse that's confronted me a lot in the last couple of years in a way that I'm not sure I've figured it out yet. And that's in Luke chapter 14, the end of Luke chapter 14. And Jesus says, so therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, Jesus said that. 
Now, scripture scholars might get all get all their knickers in a twist by trying to, well, did he say that, or did someone later add that, you know, all that stuff. And I think the only reason they do that is because they want to they want to distance themselves from having to take it seriously. But the church believes this is infallible word of God. And we believe that Jesus said this. And he said, so therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, what does that mean? You know, that's a tough one. So because it's a tough one, the majority of Christians just kind of, eh, that's for those little, that's for those people living in that cave over there. That's just for the religious. You know, the truth is even bishops, priests, popes, cardinals, and priests don't denounce everything. They don't have a vow of poverty. It's just those little guys. Was that what Jesus is talking about? Was he talking about us? Are we ready to face God for how we've dealt with that? I'm not. I'm not. That's why Jesus said there's a narrow road and a wide road. The majority of people take the wide road. Lord, help me. Forgive me for the bazillion times I've taken the wide road when I should have taken the narrow. And that's why our Lord says that those that follow the narrow way are few. Mm-hmm. Mea culpa. You know, mea culpa. I mean, there's an example. Are we ready? I mean, how, I was jokingly talking to Monsignor Steenson, and of course he can't tell me uh, the percentage of people that, what they do in the confessional, but my guess is there aren't too many people that go into the confessional and confess this because we don't think it's important. As frogs in a soup, we live in a culture that is so, so wealthy and attached to stuff. Are we ready? I was thinking this morning, I wrote in my journal, you know, in that parable of of the rich man and Lazarus, and it talks about, you know, there's a rich man. And the scriptures describe the rich man as a rich man with purple, wearing purple, luxurious garments, eat, feasting every day with the poor man, Lazarus, at his gate being ignored. And then it says Lazarus dies, and then the rich man wakes up in Hades. And I was writing in my journal, there's nothing else that Jesus, there's no other details that Jesus gives us about this man's life to, to justify why he's in Hades. Except he's rich, living in luxury, feasting every day, and ignoring the poor and abused at his door. Lord, help us. Are we so blinded by our luxuries and our feasting that we're missing the fact that this is a part of the, are we ready? Are we ready? Yeah, well, it gets back to, you know, what the original dilemma that you presented, that we we have these exhortations throughout Scripture. Um, And so then we have to try to figure out, like, how do we, how do we live with the urgency but, you know, not fall to either of the extremes. So there, one extreme certainly could be, you know, what that, that scripture passage is, uh, is describing of someone who ignores the urgency. They may think they're a pretty good person, but they're living a comfortable life. You know, they can ignore the urgency. I, I suppose another erring extreme that we don't want to fall into is certainly not a despair, 
you know, like uh, again, the, the apostle saying to Christ, well, if, you know, if, uh, I think when he was talking about is it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they say, well, who could be saved? Right. So, but we don't want to despair either. So the, the question is, how do we as Christians, how do we live a, the day in such a way that we're, we're holding that urgency with us and translating that into, into conversion, recognizing I can't will myself into holiness today. Um, somehow I do have to plan for tomorrow in a, in a healthy way because I have a family, I have responsibilities, but I have to live this urgency. How do we begin to navigate that, that, uh, that dilemma? Yeah, there aren't, the truth is there aren't too many people that write on that or speak on it for a number of reasons. One, that some of those speakers who should speak on it depend on donations, <laughs> so they don't want to alienate their, their donors. Um, you know, so, uh, but I think another reason that you don't hear too many people talk about it, because it isn't easy, because our entire lives, most of us have lived in the soup of materialism. You know, when most of us haven't left the car comfort zone to go into places where people are truly, mm -hmm. like Lazarus in the story, are truly living in poverty. We stay inside our little comfort zones, and and uh, and maybe we we compare ourselves to the ultimate rich and say, "Well, I'm not that." So, you know, I'm, you know, as I've tried to think about how to answer that question, the the one book that comes to my mind, which I highly recommend, and that's Father Dubé's book on "Unhappy Are the Poor." Where he he takes that straight on, and he, he with the beauty of what he tries to do in that book, and I know this isn't the exact topic we're looking at today, but I would say the beauty he does in that book is he he does recognize that people of different vocations have different ways right. to respond to that. So, you know, a, a, a person like our our good friend brother Rex, I think That's you had on the last program, you know, he doesn't have a wife and kids, and and he, he's taken a vow of. A, a certain vow is different than those of us that have family um, that, you know, as I think about today, I had a, a really difficult discussion with my youngest son who's in his twenties. And I realized, you know, it doesn't go away. You know, it, you know, we have our families for the rest of our lives. So it, it puts us in a different perspective. What might, and so let me say, I don't want to avoid this discussion because that wasn't the point of this. The point of it is, but let me just say one comment. Maybe the simplest thing is for us to ask ourselves, like uh, the man who had so much, such great crops, that he said, what am I going to do? And of course, the first thought that came to his mind was not sharing it with his poor neighbors, but I'm going to build bigger barns. And so he, he tore down his old barns and built bigger barns. And Jesus says that then the next night he met God and realized that all that stuff that he had accumulated was left behind. And so in our life, how attached are we to the stuff if it was taken away? And, and it's that sense of of. And again, it gets back to the issue of prudence and stuff, that sense of how we view things of this world. And there are so many times when our Lord and the other New Testament writers talk about focusing on the things right. of heaven, the things of eternal right. value, and not the things. It doesn't mean that 
you know, I got a tractor on, I got two tractors yeah. out in the barn. It doesn't mean that those things in themselves are sinful or worthless, but it's examining why we have these things. Do we have a need for them? You know, are we uh, impoverishing our family because we want our little toys or is there yeah. a real need for them? Now, now that isn't the subject of our discussion. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. an example of an aspect of the gospel that I believe will be accountable before God. Are we ready for that? And really, John Mark, to me, the more important issue is this sense of urgency. Because that's what's often really missing from people, is this complacent lack of urgency. Even when we deal with people that are examining the Catholic Church, they're in no hurry. They don't think there's an urgency. You know, this is nice and it's interesting stuff, but yeah, they're not in a there's no hurry there. Or if we look at our lives and things we're involved in, do we, do we, do we have this sense of, of being ready to meet God? Really, if, I mean, I, I think of a, a good friend of ours, John Mark, mutual uh, friend, advisor for us, who's uh, this very, right now as we tape this, his wife's mother has been in hospice. And his father, who's been as active as ever, is a workaholic, a software designer, had a mild stroke. And though he came out of that stroke, yet he has lingering effects of it, one of which will likely prevent him from ever doing his software design again. And as we do this program now, I found out this morning, that our, our friend's wife's mother passed away. Are we ready? It can happen. How many of us are ready and have sought holiness, simplicity, detachment, charity, all those things, such that if we have a stroke right now, we spend the rest of ourselves in a, in a chair, hardly be able to move with a tube in our mouth, take it. Are we ready to spend our time for the rest of our life in that situation? Have we prepared our heart and mind for right. meeting God? You know, it, it strikes me now that, that, you know, this, this question of how do we, if we believe that this urgency of the gospel is something that Christ, Christ himself communicated to us. And so we can't be dismissed. It strikes me that, you know, the way that we, one of the ways that we live that out is precisely by not falling. A dismissal of the urgency, as well as perhaps a, a, dis, a despair in face of the urgency, they both could come along with the sense of that God is not here. You know, I don't have like the like the rich man with the barns. I don't have to worry because God's. I, I, I'm not meeting God yet. You know, I still got a long life to live. Well, so too the person who um, falls into a despair that I'm not ready to meet God. Well, it seems like one of the keys here is that God is present with us. God is never far from us. We're always in the presence of God. And so, you know, the Christian, the Christian lives in a holy fear, should properly live in a holy fear. We had a great discussion of, on that earlier this summer. And this holy fear, this, this, this awe and wonder and holy fear at God the Father, is that a God that's, that's present and active in our lives? It's not a God that we're, we're, we're going to meet someday, whether that's tomorrow or uh, many years from now. In, it seems like part of the key here is living in the presence of God, 
Um, and so that uh, the question is, again, Lord, not a Lord who's absent, but a Lord who's present. Lord, what is your will today? Yeah, the, the tension between, especially mm-hmm. you, John Mark, as a husband and a father, five children, a house, mortgage, future, you know, you're in your 30s, and, you know, you anticipate another 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So there's that tension between how much do I focus on, I'll just trust God, he'll provide for us, or do I put money away in a 403B or a 401K? Do I get stocks? Do I put, you know, then there's that tension between the two. It's not an either or. It's it's a both and, and how do you balance it? And I, I do think there's a scripture that is important to remember, and that's Romans 8, 28. And, you know, Paul, when he quotes that in Romans 8.28, one of the questions that arises, well, did, did he coin that when he wrote it? Or was he saying something that he knew, the people knew, because that idea that's in Romans 8.28 is not a new thing just with Christ, but has been a part of the understanding of the walk with God forever, and that is that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, now think about that in relationship to yes, the two ways. Yeah. There. All things work together for good for those who are called by God, who love God and are called according to his purpose. So there's that trusting that when you struggle to know God's will in areas like investments and all of that. You know, am I trusting God fully or am I trusting in mammon? Which one is it? What's important is what's going on in here. Why are you doing this? And it's, that's why the church encourages us to have spiritual directors that can come back at us and challenge us. You know, I think, you know are we trusting too much in the barns full of stuff versus versus really recognizing that tomorrow is in the hands of God, if we have a tomorrow at all. You know, it, it, it's really that, that issue. And, um, you know, John Mark, I, I don't know how much I've shared this with you in my own past, but I had a time years and years ago, I won't do the whole story, but there, there's, I had an incident in my life where except by the grace of God, I shouldn't be alive. There's no reason that I should be alive today because of what happened to me. And when I was done, it was the grace of God. And I knew that. I mean, that in itself is the grace of God, that I recognize that. Some people don't recognize that. They'll say, whoa, I was lucky. No, no, no. It was the grace of God. And I think at that moment, I realized that the life I have from now on is his. It's his. It's his. I'm living today because of his mercy. Well, the truth is, every one of us is. That that's what this being ready is all about. What have we done with what we've been given? Again, there's another parable about that. Yeah. Right? You know, there's a bunch of those parables. Jesus had a bunch of those. The kingdom of God is about, he says, in about 16 different ways. And we gave this guy five and this guy two and this guy one. Well, when he comes back, what's he going to find? 
What's he going to find? And we don't know when he's coming back. So if we took a moment to examine our life now, would he be happy and satisfied when he said, well done, good and faithful servant? If he came back today and said, okay, let me see what you've done with the life I've given you. That's the yeah. urgency. Yeah, I mean, and that's really what this, so this, this program in the context of, of our overall work at the Network, part of our goal here is to keep drawing uh, all of us, not just the people that are coming to the Cumberland Network with questions, but all of us here on staff, volunteers, the team, that no matter where we are in our journey, we have to keep bringing it back to, you know, today the Lord is present to me. Uh, there's an urgency for me to experience conversion, to give my life over to him. Um, there's a recognition that in my weakness and my fallenness, <laughs> all I can do today is all I can do today. But even in there, to give, to give, to approach God with humility, saying, Lord, I here's my life today. Here are the decisions I can give you today, and to give that over to him. And then to come, it, it's interesting, again, because there's this connection that we see in this between this holy fear that gives way to a trusting love. It's only through that holy fear that we can, in a true sense, be at peace in the day. Not a false peace of, uh, again, like the, the man with the big barns, but a, a true peace of saying, Lord, I in my, my weakness, in my humility, in my miserableness, I give this day to you, and you just 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 show me what I can do today. You know, that's that's what we want to try to, to to discern that prudently in each of our lives. What what can I give today? What what am I called to today? It reminds me of there's a chapter in my book Life from Our Land in which I discuss Saint Saint Thomas Aquinas's view of right. farming. Yeah, remember that, John Mark. What he deals with in there is the the layers, the levels of the necessities of life, the essentials. And he really talks about that if if our focus is on non-essentials, it changes everything in life as opposed to recognizing those things which are essential. And so, and he uses the example of a farmer. If a farmer focuses on the essentials, in other words, providing food for my family, water for my family, a home for my family, and clothing for my family, those are the things we need. We could add to that clean air and in a church within walking distance. But if you got those, and this is what reminded me of it, John Mark, something you said, if, if you've done all you can today, to provide those essentials for your family, you can measure whether you've got enough food in your pantry for a day, a week, a month, a year, whether you've got enough clothing, enough water, a, a house that'll last you. You know that. And so at the end of the day, I've done all that I can today to provide the essentials. Then you can have a moment of repose. But if your life's focused on the non-essentials, the problem with the non-essentials is there's no limit to the non-essentials. If you're focusing on making money, there's no limit to how much money you can focus on or having non-essentials like cars or, I mean, you name it. And, and, and we have a culture that's shifted way beyond the essentials to think how many non-essential things are essential. And so we end up never having a sense in which I've done 
yeah. today right. all that I need. You know, this connects in my mind to how how faith and reason remain connected. So we, we live a life of faith. We want to live a life of authentic faith. Um, but faith plays itself out in our our approaching, again, this is the virtue of prudence, our, our approaching reality and, and trying to be reasonable, being realistic about it. God has put me on this earth. I have today. Um, we, I have these actual needs. That's the thing about uh, St. Thomas's essentials. They are actual needs. God's given me a body. I have to feed my body. I need, I need water. I need shelter. I don't need sports cars. I don't need yachts. I don't need entertainment. I don't need all, I don't, there's a lot of inessentials that if I'm being honest, if I'm being realistic, I don't need. And so our, our living out our faith is a living out reasonably saying, Lord, okay, you've given me this life. There are these reasonable, rational things I should work at today. But then the rest I can, I can give up to you. If, I, if I've done my work today, if I've fulfilled sufficient reason, you know, what my responsibilities are, if I've done, if I've, I've taken the steps I can take, then there's a sense, as you said, I can really spiritually and physically, I can repose and say, Lord, the rest I leave up to you <laughs> because I've done what I can do. You know, you know I love, I wish I had it in front of me, but there's a quote by C.S. Lewis in which he talks about the interruptions yes. in life. Yeah. I do. You know I might that have quote? It, I mean, it's a, it, <laughs> oh, it's a great quote because, I mean, I don't know if you can pull it up, but it's such a great quote because and this gets into essentials mm -hmm. and non-essentials, that often the things that we're focusing our time on that we think are important, we got to get them done, and then something else interrupts yeah. that and totally takes us away from it. And then we focus our time on, oh, I wasn't able to get that. And what, what C.S. Lewis points out, it's those interruptions is what right. is life. I forget how he puts it. And the reason I think about that is, you know, if, if our life is focused on all these other things and we're sitting there in our living room and our wife is sitting there and we're focused on all these other things that I ought to be doing and I can't do this, I'm not going to be able to do that. And, and not realizing that the most important thing that I should be focusing on is sitting right in the couch right. next to me. That's not an interruption. She is not an interruption. He is not an interruption. He or she is one of those essentials. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to pull it up here. I can't. I can't quite find it, but I'll. I'll put it in the show notes here. It's a. It's a great it's a, quote by him. Yeah, the, the real life. It's a great. I, quote. I love how he points out that again. The sometimes the the life that we imagine is our real life. That's just a fantasy, you know. Rather than seeing those things, as you said, those things that God's sending to us, that's real life, you know. And and again, the it's a it's a it's a virtue for us to begin to practice this habit of turning from our presumptions to what God's actually sending us and, and trying to respond to that. Lord, this is what you sent me today. Thy will be done. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure, John Mark, I, I, we're probably going over time here, but I wanted to, I said I want to talk about something yes, in 2 yes. Peter. And I, I want to get to that because, and I think this is on a lot of people's minds today because we're living in a difficult age. I mean, to some extent, because of some things I've seen happening in our world and, and on the internet. and. I really was feeling discouraged today, some things that I've heard from some folk and how they're understanding this political process we're going through, seeing what's happening in the church. Um, the I mean, it's, it's almost bewildering when we, if we re face the reality that we're living in a country now that is almost divided exactly 50-50 between groups of people whose understanding of what is right and wrong is radically different. And how do we understand what's going on? And it, 
And so we see people wondering, is this the end times? Is this a difficult time? And it's interesting that those that want to see at that time, there's all this, this apostasy and, and the struggles in the world and, and, and all the issues. Is that pointing to the end times as our Lord had, had talked about? Uh, uh, or do we go the other way and what people say, oh, you know, it's been this way off and on for 2,000 years. It's been lots of times when the same kind of things were happening. It's no big deal. And so you don't think about the urgency of it at all. And it seems to me that what Peter was writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 was trying to get to the point that on the one hand, we are living in the end times. We are. St. Augustine would essentially say, we've been living in the end times since right. the incarnation. The thousand years as as our Lord talks about to John in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, began with the incarnation. And we've been living in these thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, it says there's going to be a rough time of apostasy when the devil is loosed. Well, uh, it kind of looks like it to me. Kind of looks like it to me. But when did that begin? For some people, they well, it began with Vatican II, nah, you know, or it began with World War II. Well, it began with the dropping of the atomic bombs. Eh, okay, we keep going back, and pretty soon we see evidence of having gone around for centuries of the work of the devil, doing everything he can to destroy the church, to destroy the witness of the gospel. So, how do you take this? Now, this is what I wanted to draw your attention to in Second Peter three. He says. This is now the second letter that I have written to you, beloved, and in both of them I have announced, aroused your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own passions, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. It's always been like this. There's always been good and bad. There's been, come on, just give it time. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Just hold tight. Just hold tight. And then he goes on, they deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth formed out of water and by means of water through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. The salvation history has many times when God said, you know, I pretty much had it with these people. Their hearts are lost. I think it's time to just, he's not going to send water again, but that doesn't mean he can't sell a bunch of other things. You know, I've had it. Every single day we pray a psalm, Psalm 95, that says, I've had it for 40 years I put up with you idiots. You don't deserve, God says that. But what happens? The only reason we are here now, everybody, is because centuries ago God said, I've had it with this people. But then somebody prayed. But then a holy man, Moses, Abraham, Samuel, 
David. Uh, interceded and whose heart was right. And God, Scripture says, God repents. Well, that's the way we describe it. But from our perspective, God changes his mind. Why? In response to prayer, in response to holiness. The only reason we are here now is because the long thread of saints who lived their life as if it was the last day, and their lives were a message to God that there's still a thread of hope. There's, st- there's people coming through that narrow gate. And he goes on and he says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you and not wishing that any should perish. Why is God delaying? Because there's at least one more person that needs to hear. There's at least one more person in our life. So when we think about the urgency of it, It isn't just about us, it's about him. Who in our life doesn't know Jesus? I mean, how many times have I gone to a funeral, and after the person dies, everybody's standing around, and what do they say? He's gone to a better place. And I want to scream, we don't know that. Yeah. We don't know, we hope so, but we don't know that. We don't make that judgment. It's kind of like the presidential election right now. We don't make that judgment. There's authorities that do, it's not us. We don't know. So so we don't take it for granted. What can we do to make sure that the urgency is we don't take that person for granted? Is there somebody in our life we got to say, you know, I am sorry. And he goes on, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All. All. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. And the elements will be, actually, I think when the heavens pass away, it will be silent because the digital world will be done. <laughs> crickets. Yeah. yeah. It'll be crickets. And the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Now, there's the, here's the bottom line. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, all the barns full of wheat, all of our cars, all of these things we think are essential, since all those things are be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be? And he says, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening, in fact, the footnote says, anxiously, earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the urgency. That's the gospel. And John Mark, that's the message of the yes. Coming Home Network. And be, yeah. If someone wants to want to fight about doc, apology, we'll get, there. we'll get there. But before we get there, we have to re- we have to remain Are rooted in that. And that's true of all of us here. And I, you know, that's one thing we want to say here. Again, 
Um, our work continues, you know, our, our apologetics programs, this conversion stories, this program continue, you know, but the thread underlying it, and we, we want you to know this, you know, the, the audience, especially if you're a non-Catholic Christian, if, if you're a Christian from a, a different denomination, different part of Christianity, we remain divided. There are wounds in the body of Christ. We especially want you to know, you know, that we, we, we recognize that we are all under this common call of Christ, this call to be holy, this obligation, this urgency. Uh, for conversion today, to be open to God today. And so it's, it's only in the context of that that we discuss, um, we discuss the Catholic Church. We want to share what we believe. We want to share our stories. But it's in that context. And wherever, again, wherever each of us are on our particular journeys, we want to call and challenge each other to that conversion that God's calling us to today, whatever that is. Why do we call people to the Catholic Church? Why are we dedicated to that? Well, because going all the way back to early church fathers, why did Paul and, and um, Clement of Alexandria and, and Irenaeus and Ignatius and Cyprian and Augustine, why did all of them say that flee to the church, flee to your mother? Why did they say that? Because they said over and over again, in the midst of all the voices out there that are confusing anything, there's only one place you can be sure you have the truth, and that's the church. That's why Paul said that the pillar and bulwark of truth is the church. The operative word of that sentence isn't the church. It's truth. That's what this is about. Truth. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we believe, and John Mark, you and I have talked about this, you know, in premarital counseling, that old triangle, right? If two people who are getting married, both of them grow closer to Jesus, they'll grow closer right. to each other. That's exactly why we focus on Christ, because we believe that as grace opens their heart to the fullness of Jesus Christ, in time they will recognize the need for the church, which is is where we find the fullness of understanding who Jesus was. You know, that reminds me, and this is maybe a good way to, to bring this to a close, but you, you had uh, recalled my memory to a quote from Father Benedict Rochelle. He actually gave it one of our conferences back in, back in the, the aughts, I think, somewhere in there. Um, but he was ta doing a, a talk about you know, authentic versus inauthentic renewal. And he was talking about ecumenism. What, what is authentic ecumenism? We, we find ourselves as Christians in this divided state. How do we authentically engage with one another? And he, he said, the real foundation of real ecumenism is devotion to Jesus Christ. Devotion is a powerful personal conviction that our divine Savior in eternal life knows me, knows you individually, knows us, not as the great choir, but one at a time. That he cares about us, that he sends us grace, that in the difficult times of life we can trust him, and that he will lead us even through the valley of the shadow of death that he expects things of us, and that when we fail, he expects our repentance, that he hears our prayers, especially for those who are dear to us and for the world, and that in the hour of death, when we close our eyes, we will find him. He will be there. Yeah, good old Father Grishel, yeah. God rest his soul. He dedicated 10 of the last years of his life to research and writing a book about the topic of the devotion mm -hmm. to Jesus book was called I Am With You Always. It's a wonderful, yeah. it's a big book. And he studies the history of the devotion to Jesus within Catholic, within Eastern Orthodox, and within Protestant spirituality. It's a wonderful book, but it focuses on just what he said. You know, who is Jesus in your life? I mean, that's the issue. Who is Jesus in your life? 
And if you flip it around, like in that parable that we studied last Sunday in the Mass, does he know you? That's really the urgency uh, that we see at the core of our work in the coming home note. This has been good, Dad. Thank you for uh, thank you for this discussion. Thanks yeah. for inviting me. And thank you for joining us for this discussion. Uh, um, again, I hope it's been edifying to you. Um, if you the Coming Home Network, as we pointed out, as we, we said before, we're here to, to share the tr- truth and beauty of the Catholic Church. If you have questions, if you're somewhere on that journey, we'd love to to walk with you. But of course, wherever you are, we hope you'll follow along with this program and on this continued exploration of what what does it really look like? What does it mean for us to authentically live out this urgency of the gospel in our day to day life? How do we how do we navigate that? How do we, we discern that? How do we remain open to that? How do we remain in the presence of God? Through thick and through whatever's going on, so that's that's the discussion here, and we we'll hope you'll continue along with it. Um, if you're on YouTube, please you know subscribe and and like and do all the you know, all the, the internet things so you can follow along. With me. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us. God bless. We'll talk to you next week.